Hey everybody, Coach here. How you doing? Man, thanks for taking a couple of minutes no matter where you're at and what is going on in your world. Hey, this week we're talking about small-scale ground covers and some of the selections and applications that you can use them for, whether it be in sun or shade. And on some of them you can actually convert them to small lawn substitutes, not necessarily large lawn substitutes. Hey, you know, many landscapes in the modern suburbia homes nowadays, we have all seen it one way or another, are smaller, you know, as neighborhoods tend to get more packed together, tighter and tighter and denser and denser. So this week's ground cover selection that can fit in small scale landscapes, provide those small scale lawn alternatives or just make up a beautiful percentage of a well thought out lawnless landscape. Hey again, I'm glad you're here. It's time to get this thing done. Thanks for joining me. Let's go. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Hey, welcome back. First, we have to discuss just a few definitions in order to kind of get this into context a bit. Small scale space is the first definition. In this case, we use these terms in order to find square footage of an area. I generally always use that 500 square foot mark as a small scale. And it doesn't mean that it's just a ground cover in 500 square feet, okay? It is 500 square feet with all kinds of other things mixed in with it. You know, in a lawnless landscape, we blend so many different elements into this style of landscaping that ground covers make up only, in many cases, uh, a quarter to a third of the plant material used. Yes, you can have less, and yes, you can have more. But what we do as designers is we try to balance the viewer's eye with many elements and not overwhelm with just one thing. That's the power of lawnless landscapes. When you incorporate other elements like boulders and dry creek beds, small shrubs, small trees, patios, walkways, water features, storage areas, play areas, doggo areas, vegetable gardens, oh my gosh, it goes on and on and on. But you can see what is left over for the green material in the landscape once you add a lot of these things to small scale yards. It's kind of obvious. You can see how many landscape areas can be dedicated to multiple plant species and multiple purposes. Ground covers may only be a small percentage of area used in this application. Plus, we don't need the landscape overwhelmed with aggressive emphasis, underline, underline, exclamation point. Aggressive plants that will dominate these entire spaces, take them over, and end up uh, handing you a maintenance nightmare. Nah, that is not the goal here at all. Thus, with all of that, you're increasing your trimming, your segregation, your maintenance, and you've just defeated the whole purpose. You might as well have a freaking lawn that you mow every week. So, small-scale ground covers enter the picture to kind of fill gaps, crevices, small square footages, whether it be sun or shade, ground covers that can be easily maintained 
and that's a real big emphasis, are not known for aggressive behavior, and they look good doing it as well. They're always, 99% of the time, they're always perennial. They last for many, many years. They can be propagated, they can be edged, they can be decoratively pruned and trimmed and maintained and kept in areas if that's what you're looking for. So I picked out 10 of the top, off the top of my head, basically. Many of these I have used professionally and personally. Some are for part sun to full sun, others are part shade to full shade. So enjoy. Lastly, a disclaimer here though. None of them are maintenance-free. You can make them maintenance-free, but one, what landscape out there really is? What my goal here is, is to introduce you to some selections. You can make a good, knowledgeable, informed decision of what might work for you, and then kind of honestly gauge yourself as far as how much you want to plant, how much area you have to plant, and what is the overall look, theme, and goal that you're trying to accomplish? But for me, man, do they look good mixed in with other plant material and hardscape elements? They really do. Okay, so let's get into them. Number one, one that I have used and I have enjoyed for many, many decades, both selling it, using it, planting it, and visually looking at it, and that is creeping flocks. I love this plant for a few applications. I really do. The main one is rock gardens and sticking them in and around boulders and cracks and crevices, dry creek bed edges, and the like. Colors of the bloom are, you know, they kind of span a scale here. They go from white to pinks to really deep pink, lavender, in some cases almost blue for some of the hybridized ornamentals. They are tough, very little maintenance. A blooming period that could last eh, a little bit longer, but it's still three to four weeks. That's not too bad. The more plants you plant, the more area you're going to cover, not only for this plant, but for any of the selections that I've mentioned here. It is not necessarily a lawn substitute per se, as foot traffic will tend to beat it up a little bit. It is native to eastern U.S. It blooms in late spring and early summer, and I mean when it does bloom, it will literally cover the top of the plant itself quite dramatic when it comes to the bloom. Okay, moving on. Number two is various types of sedums. Now, first thing off, I know what you think. You're thinking ice plants and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a select group of sedums that are not associated with the desert southwest, although they will thrive down there in the right application. Sedums are a very versatile type of succulent plant that can go all the way into very cold zones, believe it or not. They have a wonderful summer, if not late summer, type of bloom. They are easily containable with some mild pruning and edging here and there, and they really are easy to propagate and easy to plant and care for. They are drought tolerant. They do not like having extremely wet feet, so in and around low areas and you could put them at edges of creek beds and water features and stuff as long as they have plants in and around them that want the same thing as far as water and moisture, etc. I used to use dragon's blood, the chartreuse version of sedum called Angelina, hens and chicks, which were neat to tuck into boulder rock walls and stuff, 
And there was one that I didn't get to use. It has come out since I retired, and that's the Japanese Ogon sedum. And that is a, a brilliant chartreuse sedum that works really, really well. They have very few pests and are virtually disease-free. The only thing that will kill them is drowning them. So keep them out of super sloppy wet soils at all times. And they require very little feeding, and they're not prone to... Uh, Deer invasion and that kind of stuff. Deer, I've never heard of deer really wanting them at all. So there you go. Uh, small scale sedums. Number three, moss. The moss that I used when I practiced was a moss that was called Scotch moss and Irish moss. Scotch moss is the chartreuse colored moss, Irish moss is the very deep green. And what I used to do in pathways, like stepping stone pathways, rock gardens, uh, edges of creek beds and boulders and that kind of stuff. I'd plant these guys and I generally plant uh, a couple, two or three of them together because of the dark green and chartreuse would be a wonderful electrifying type of visual impact in there. They will take full sun in many, many locations, but these mosses are not a real cold tolerant moss. These are an ornamental moss, and they're generally zones 8 to 10. And they're full sun, part shade. The denser you want your moss, the more sun you should give it. You give it more shade, it'll tend to relax out and be a little more lacy and spacey, so to speak. It doesn't mind the occasional food, but make sure if you do it, do it with a liquid fertilizer. Don't throw granular fertilizer on it because the granular fertilizer will burn the moss on top. The only thing that I've seen as a negative is uh, dogs. Dogs pee on it. <laughs> Cancel its ticket right away. It will die out. The best success that I had with these mosses is in imported soil berms and well-draining, loamy, composted type of soils. That's where I find it just to take off like a rocket. And it is small. It, it, you can plant it really dense if you want, and it will spread out into larger areas. But I think its impact is more of a focal point type, especially when you mix those two together. So consider moss as far as one of the small scalers as well. Okay, this next one, I want you to uh, broaden your horizons just a little bit. Some may not think this plant is small scale, and it's Generally, the thoughts of you planted too damn much is why it takes over. Or you planted it right next to your lawn with no barrier, and it decided to get into your lawn. And that is carpet bugle or a juga. I've used a juga for decades, and I used it not as a lawn substitute, although you can. It's, it can work really well. I used it more for rock gardens and boulders and creek beds type of accent. And I always use the darker versions of it, the bronzy ajuga. Mainly, I would say, mainly the mahogany version, uh, black scallop, and jungle bronze. Those were probably my big three that I used to use. Now, one thing about this one, depending on what's in and around your area, is that it can be a little prone for a hidey hole for slugs and snails. So I used things like Cory's bait and stuff like that to keep the populations way, way down. 
that way you won't have large populations that'll come out and gobble your hostas to the ground or something else. So this is a particular type of ground cover that you want to use sparingly if you're doing small-scale stuff. You may only need a six-pack of it to plant in various little parts of your project and let it grow. It is easily trimmable. It is a run-and-root type of ground cover. So don't plant it next to the lawn because it doesn't mind getting into that, that regular moisture that lawns need. I have seen lawns that get infested with it. But plant it a ways back, you know, and if it starts to, if it starts to misbehave, hey, you can get out there with a little garden knife and you just trim it up. And it will stay there for many, many, many years. You really can. It is virtually disease and pest resistant. Uh, just be aware of the drainage in the soil. You see that as kind of a common theme here today. And it is very versatile as far as ranges of tolerance. It can go down to zone 4 and all the way up to zone 10. That's like going from northern Maine to Florida and everywhere in between. So not too bad, huh? So sparingly use it. Use it appropriately. Use it in conjunction with some other things. I can remember having it at one of my houses in the Central Valley, and I planted it up near the front door on kind of a raised, raised berm area, and I used the, the scotch moss and the bronze ajuga together, and the purple and the chartreuse that went together. It really looked slick. It really did, and lasted for many, many, many years, as long as, as, long as we were there. All right, moving on. Number five is dead nettle, also known as lamium. Uh, this semi-variegated ground cover is used primarily in areas of morning sun and afternoon shade. In the hotter areas, hotter, drier areas, it will do fine provided that there's a little bit of moisture there. It's kind of a, uh, yeah, it's kind of a natural native woodland look to it. Uh, it is not something that you want to overplant, but you use it in areas that uh, if you had a small-scale shady part sun type of garden mixed with hostas and ferns and azalea and stuff like that. It would work really, really well in places that uh, those plants would go. Besides, the variegation kind of brightens things up a little bit. But don't plant a variegated hosta next to your lamia, because then you got the two variegations going and one just drowns out the other. So in and around, in and around logs, water features, dry creek beds, all things like that, Lamium does really well. And the thing is, it's, it's kind of a drought-tolerant little beast. Uh, if you're in an area that you have used maybe microsprayers and drip system type of stuff, this plant will tolerate more dryness than you might expect. And if you go along with that theme, you get into azaleas and and pieris and some of those guys, they don't want super wet feet. So lamium kind of complements that type of planting plant. Okay, moving on, number six, creeping thyme. You kind of knew this one was going to be in there somewhere, right? An absolute garden soldier. It is the marine. It is the marine of the garden ground covers. It really is. Tin hut when it comes to these guys. It really is versatile, pretty, and industrial freaking strength. It really is. It is containable, it's prunable, and planting applications can be many. Uh, my personal use and professional use was always in between stepping stones, 
and also in rock gardens. I did not use it a lot around creek beds and stuff, but it can be. There's no problem with that. Hillside planting, if you have a short, small hillside there, this works really, really well. And you can also, if you're around retaining walls, it can actually creep in and then spill over. It makes for a great spiller. It is obviously harvestable as well. You can use it as the herb portion of thyme. Full sun, drought tolerant, nice little uh, lavender bloom when it does come on, and resistant to disease, and as much information as I know about it, deer and herbivores and rodents and stuff just don't want anything to do with it, really. Also is versatile in many, many grow zones. Again, northern Minnesota down to Florida. That's zones 4 through 10, 10 plus. The only thing that'll kill it, you water it too much. It prefers drier feet. And this one here can be used as a lawn substitute as well. Got to plant it a little closer together, though. So creeping time. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It can actually take a little bit of foot traffic. It really can. And as you walk across it, come back, you will smell that beautiful fragrance. You will. All right, moving on. Number seven. Number seven is Veronica. Veronica, the woolly speedwell. Another trooper of small space gardens uh, or larger areas if you desired, but most of the time it's used for small scale stuff. This full sun ground cover can be used again in a huge variety of zones. This one can be Canada to Mexico, for gosh sakes. It has a beautiful, beautiful bloom, whether it be white or deep blue uh, in the mid to late spring. It's primarily used for. Uh, lawnless rock garden applications, creek bed edges, stepping stone crevices, etc. I like using it as a frontal boundary or a border for larger beds. You give it plenty of space. It doesn't get really huge. Each plant will only go about two inches tall and two feet wide. So you kind of have to plan, okay, if that's maturity, then I'm going to plant maybe 20 inches apart or 18 inches apart, something like that, if you want a solid mass. Or if you just want to plant individuals and then enjoy that blooming period. So you can see how small scale is its middle name. And it works really well. It can tolerate a moderate amount of foot traffic as well. I wouldn't necessarily use it for doggo's poop bucket and pee area. I, I don't think it would tolerate a lot of that. Maybe a little bit. But you be the judge. Just don't throw your money away. All right, moving on. Number eight is the Dwarf Carpet of Stars also known as Ruchia. Ruchia is a, a new kid on the block, so to speak. It has only been around popularity-wise for, I'd say, the last 10 to 12 years. Not many people knew about it. I actually didn't use it very much until the very, very end when availability actually came about in Northern California. It had been available down in Southern California for a little while by then. It is a drought-tolerant little beast. It has a very nice blooming period. It is super easily controlled with minimal pruning or edging. The ground cover can be used in a variety of ways, kind of like the ones we've already covered here, but is also for a small-scale lawn substitute if you want. It kind of looks and reminds people of ice plant, especially the drosanthemum variety, uh, but it is not. It's not related to it at all. 
Uh, it's a great creeper around stepping stones and boulders. Because it is the dwarf version, it doesn't grow quite as fast as the standard ruchia, which is a great lawn substitute. It's much more slower and therefore much more usable in small space gardens, lawnless garden applications. Okay, number nine, creeping mint, uh, the Corsican mint, not the herb, okay? Let me reemphasize that, not the herb. This is the ground cover. This selection does not come to mind as readily as some of the others that I've already mentioned, or ones that you may have or may not have seen. It is not an invasive mint. It is definitely not a large-scale ground cover. This small-scale, beautifully aromatic selection is its middle name, uh, small-scale. Depending on how you use the plant and in what square footage of area, which should not be very much, it likes part sun to part shade areas. If you're in a real hot, dry zone, a little bit of morning sun till maybe 10-ish, then filtered sun, and then shade. And then if you're going to give it full sun, it should only be in the morning, not in the hot afternoon. It doesn't mind being somewhat moist, but like a lot of our applications here today, nothing likes to be soggy. It just doesn't. Small-scale applications such as stepping stone, crevices, water feature areas like uh, creek beds, you know, like if you have a uh, pondless waterfall and you have a 16-foot creek bed, you can tuck this in and around with some of the other plants we've already mentioned here. It can handle cold. It can, it can go from zones 4 to 9, maybe even 10. It is not meant for high foot traffic at all. It will not tolerate that. So if you put it between stepping stones, make sure those stepping stones are big enough where you're not walking on the mint itself. But if you do, oh my gosh, you will know it. It will have a wonderful aromatic mint smell to it. I used to like it when it was at the nurseries because it was the selling point. All you had to do is have a customer brush their fingers across the top of the flats. That was it. That went in the cart. It was very, very easy. So Corsican mint, do not confuse it with the herb, the very highly invasive mint. All right, number 10, our last one, but I have a bonus for you. The last one is actually a grass used quite frequently out west. It's not often thought of as a ground cover, but I have seen literal lawn substitute applications using this plant. It is the blue fescue grass, Festuca ovina glauca. I use the Elijah Blue version because I love that, that impact of that grayish blue color and mixing it in with greens and variegations and stuff. Really looked good. It tolerates cold. You know, it goes from zones 4-ish to 10, which is quite a, quite a variety. And it handles full sun and down to a half a day of shade. But if you're going to do that half day, try to make it the afternoon because it will appreciate the longer, hotter full sun rather than the cool morning sun. It'll get kind of leggy and stretchy and kind of lay down if you give it too much shade. It again, like most ornamental grasses, does not want to be in a lot of super wet, poor draining soils. You can use them in uh, tucking in and around some of these other selections and using it for a border or an edging type of thing. If it goes to seed, which it tends to do in the late summer, Go out there with uh, your pruning shears or garden scissors and just give it a baldy sour. You know, just 
gather it up, trim off the seed heads, move on. Uh, that way you won't have it coming up anywhere where you do not want it. All right, and the bonus one. Not readily available all the time, so you kind of have to ask for it. And that is Daimondia. Daimondia is a very low-growing, very low-growing, small-scale lawn substitute. has a beautiful little daisy-like yellow flower in the summertime. And you can use it in a variety of ways. Many applications that I've already covered here. It has a, uh, like a, a miniature, small-scale gazania leaf to it. Where it's kind of a gray-green color. Especially gray-green on top and gray on the bottom. It is most unusual and can be used very successfully mixed in with some of the other selections that I have. And also plant material. It is drought tolerant. It does not like super wet feet, but it takes full sun very well. So there you go. An extra one, which I always try to give you. So using some of these selections for smaller areas can offer landscape solutions maybe you had not thought of. Look for them online, although they tend to be, everything seems to be super expensive online. I don't, I don't get it. Doing some of the research that I did for this, holy crap. I mean, you're talking about a flat of things that are $200. Give me a freaking break. I can remember a flat of ground cover on sale for $7.99. And now $200? Are you kidding me? My God. Anyway, at least you can research it there and then ask for it, maybe from one of your local nurseries. This is the last thing I want to leave with you is when you're using these, it's in conjunction with all the other key visual landscape elements to create that visual interest and that impact. Okay. Hey, closing in on a small milestone for us over on the YouTube channel, closing in on 10,000 subscribers. Man, we're really kind of proud of that. I, I know we're not uh, some super fancy bigwig on the YouTube scene. I, really, I understand that. It's an educational thing. But we are celebrating and thanking everybody that has watched and subscribed and has even gone the extra step to become part of our Yard Coach crew on the email list. So we are rewarding that interest with a giveaway after we hit it. I don't know when we're gonna hit it. Our goal was by the end of the year, we have 500 and some subs to get there. So hey, if you're not a subscriber, go over there and click on. Go to the website, youryardcoach.com. Put yourself on the email list, and I'm giving away one, maybe two, Homescape 1.0 digital courses. That's a $300 value each. So someone's going to get a lucky education there. So for now, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you got something from this. Check us out for a lot more visual impact over on the YouTube channel. And I will catch you guys next week. As always, to your landscape success, if you have questions for me, youryardcoach at gmail.com. Appreciate your time. Have a very good rest of your day or evening. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show and we'll see you right here next week.